You've heard many tips on this show over the years on how to communicate effectively. And yet, how can you utilize a good sense of humor in order to get your message across with others? On today's show, how to engage with humor. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 245. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions that will help you to develop your leadership skills. And thank you for tuning into the show again this week. I'm glad you did. Because today we're going to tackle a topic that, well, is one that is challenging for a lot of us, which is humor. And 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 actually not just humor, but more importantly, how do we engage people? And uh, I'm really glad to introduce my guest today, and that gentleman is David Nihill. David is the author of Do You Talk Funny? Seven Comedy Habits to Become a Better and Funnier Public Speaker. And we're also going to be chatting today about not just speaking, but how to be funny in conversation in general. David, I'm so glad to welcome you to Coaching for Leaders. Yeah, thanks for having me. When I was looking at your website, I found this this phrase that you guys had featured, I think, on one of the videos, and it said, humor isn't a nice to have, it's a must to have. Tell me more about that. Why why that message? Yeah, very, I mean, very much what we were finding that audience were audiences these days were socially conditioned to receive information with a level of entertainment. That what we were seeing was being being produced by companies was much more infotainment. And they were having to do this in response to even the news mediums here in the US where people don't really watch traditional news for news. It it more pops up in the way of you know, had done originally through Stephen Colbert or John Oliver, all of a sudden you were getting this critical information, but you were getting it in a way that would stand out in mediums like Facebook where people were spending their time. And I guess our argument was if if you want to compete with people's attention these days and with ever decreasing attention spans, they're used to receiving information with a level of humor or engagement or entertainment. And if you want to fight for their attention or stand out, then for you, humor isn't a nice to have. It's a must have. When I say this on email as well, too, when I get email from organizations that I'm affiliated with, David, the ones that are just like information as far as events and bullet points don't really engage me very much. But when there's some, someone does something creative or gets my attention, I'm a lot more likely to click on it or, or read it or follow through on it. Seems like seems like that's becoming the norm now, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's nearly expected. You know, when you're going through your inbox, sometimes it's kind of a big pile of sadness. It's just work piling up and piling up and request for your time. And if there's some little snippet of funny in there, you're like, ooh. And, you know, scientifically, that actually spikes dopamine in your brain. You're more alert all of a sudden, and you're more likely just to quickly respond to that or do what that asks you to do. So we run a lot. We ran a lot of tests, actually, with creative copy on emails at one stage. And even with cold emails to people we did not know in any way, shape or form, when we had a significant level of humor in there, our opening rate was over 50 percent, which was insane. 
yeah. um, at one stage, but they, they were spreading our message for us because it was funny, it was engaging, and the copy stood out in an inbox, which was not a big pile of happiness. To be honest, nearly everything I've done over the last year, it linked to this book where it's testimonials for the book or it was publicity for the book. Most of that was done by sending funny GIF emails. And I, I have a list of those somewhere. I'll make sure we include them in the show notes for your listeners. But it was literally nice. just funny GIF videos of cookie monsters looking impatient or I'd send a message going, are it still signs of life over there? And it was just a, an empty town basically with a bale of hay blowing through it. <laughs> and people were likely to reply back to these things at a rate that was literally about nine to one. Wow. Uh, Nearly all the time. So it's it's just doing something a little bit different that, you know, doesn't require an action. And in doing so, you don't feel like you're you're annoying the person. You're giving them a little bit of laughter in their day because they're pretty busy sometimes. I mean, everyone's interpretation of humor isn't always the same. But I'd say out of a couple of thousand people, I sent those funny follow up emails to only two people out of that were like, hey, uh, I don't really like these. But here's the information you're looking for. You're making me think of something I did that was kind of nutty a few years ago, David. It must have been five or six years ago. Uh, it was Groundhog Day here in the States, and I, I bought a bunch of stuffed groundhogs randomly. I, I don't even remember what made me think to do it and st- handed them out to clients uh, on Groundhog Day. And you know, it was just sort of like a funny joke thing. And I, I, it was recently as two or three weeks ago, I had someone email me with a picture of their groundhog at their desk. And... <laughs> I, <laughs> it's been like five years, man, uh, since I did this. And but, I was amazed at how much attention that grabbed of something that was just kind of like a random silly thing. And and yet, wow, what a <laughs> what a connection point it was. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it just burns a memory in people's minds of some little bit of engagement or entertainment. It's something different that stands out. We did. We actually went as far as to create a personalized follow-up email to a guy with two people singing on guitars about how he hasn't got back to them and how we're just following up and we had to write this song. And then I went to a conference and sure enough, the guy made about 25% of his keynote talk about our hustle and following up with him. And he played this video for the whole audience, which was pretty bonkers. So it was just something small we did was it ended up featured on the HubSpot blog and Salesforce blog and and all these things. And, it, you know, it, it was fun to do. Like it, it's just taking that extra time sometimes and, and that was kind of the, the rationale behind the humor, isn't it? And nice to have. It's a bit of a must have these days. But realistically, that word humor there could be interchangeable for, for any form of creativity to grab people's attention. Well, one of the things you talked to me about before we started recording today was that the goal of this isn't necessarily to be funny or to make people laugh, that that's nice. But the goal is really to engage people. Could could you tell us more about that distinction? Yeah. To, and, and to be honest, I think that's just the pain point for a lot of people these days, whether you're producing content or you're doing a load of safety videos you need to put out to employees, or it's a blog you're putting together a video that you're forced to be really, really concise in nature and you're, you're pain point often is engagement. So you're doing a video course, engagement rates are typically really, really low. You're putting out a blast of a newsletter and typically your opening rates are really low. You're just looking for ways to get people to click or get people to engage with you and follow the action you're looking for. And humor represents a really, really good way of doing that because guess what? I mean, you're competing with attention for other companies that are using that, you know, innovative ones, even if it's someone like Eat24, 
Now, I don't know if you've ever been subject to their messaging, but it's just always funny and quirky and humorous. And emails that you typically wouldn't engage with that are just feeding you information all of a sudden are a lot more entertaining to read. And that engagement rate does go up when you inject humor as long as it's well done. That actually gets to one of the core things I wanted to ask you about, David, because I, I am sure that there are people who did not listen to this episode or hit delete because they saw the word humor in the title and something went through their minds, as has gone through my mind, which is, well, I don't need humor. I'm not funny. I don't. That's just not something I'm good at. And I think, in fact, when you and I exchanged emails the first time, we had a friend introduce us. I think I messaged you back with something like, uh, David, please help. I'm not funny or something like that. Just to, I was trying to make you laugh. But there was also a sense of, I, I don't think of myself as a funny person. And I think for a lot of us, there's that mental mindset of, I can't, I can't do this and I can't get good at this. How do you coach people to move beyond that? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, if you ask a bunch of people here in the States, are they funny? Most of them will probably say no. If you ask that question in Ireland, where I'm from, everyone's like, oh, yeah, of course. Naturally, <laughs> it's funny. Oh, obviously. Um, it's funny over here. It's very much in tune with leadership when you your argument and your point and your intro to the show a lot of the time, our leaders are not born, they're made. Yeah. A lot of the funny people you're subject to in the world through mediums, whether it's from Comedy Central to anything online you're watching, a lot of those guys have followed a very systemic process of of learning over a number of years and they've picked up techniques along the way that they did not naturally have at the start. And a lot of people I encountered along the way when I was doing a year uh, pretending to be an accomplished comedian to get over a fear of public speaking, which certainly does not sound like a good plan. And it wasn't, uh, I can assure you. But I met a lot of guys who I would have said 100%, this guy is not funny or engaging in any way. I, I remember specifically being in a comedy club one time and talking to a guy who I would have put down as one of the, the least exciting people I've met in a long time, really struggled to hold a conversation, looked really, really awkward in every way. And I was like, well, do you come here much for comedy? He's like, oh, yeah, all the time. I'm going on next. And I was like, oh, that is a terrible plan. You're about <laughs> to get up and be a comedian. Who told you to do this? That They, they must have been playing an evil joke. And he got up and was absolutely hilarious for 15 minutes and had people belly laughing. So he was very much the embodiment of maybe not everybody who goes through that learning process becomes famous for being funny, but all of them were becoming funnier. And there's certainly a bunch of systems and procedures and techniques you can use to actually bring that out and make it quite systemic. So very much in line with your leaders are are, you know, they're often not born, they're made. It's the same thing with a lot of funny people you're saying away. Yeah, they might be a little bit funny. Some guys might be naturally funnier than others, but a lot of people who are famous for being funny were not funny to start with. What I remember just a couple months ago seeing a video of Louis C.K. talking about how he was, he his in his own words, he was awful at comedy the first 10 years he did it and talked through how hard he worked and all the principles he learned and, and how difficult that road was. And I've seen a number of very famous comedians who have either written or spoken about that, of how hard they've worked in order to hone that craft and that the best ones out there are really, like you just described, have really followed a very precise systems for system for themselves and learned from others on how to do that. So it, it it's one of these things like it looks... When it's done well, it looks so natural, but the reality is is there's a lot of work and a lot of intentionality that's gone into that. 
Well, there is, but the very nice thing is behind that, all those guys typically have one thing in common. Over, say, they're putting in the 10,000 hours that Malcolm Gladwell says to become a master. During that period, they tend to get really good at writing. So the one key element all these guys have in common is their writing and proof. So if I told you you could be funnier, you'd be like, well, I'm not sure about that one. But if I said, well, you can become a better writer, you'd say, well, of course, I just have to write a little bit every day. And that's essentially what these guys are doing. There's a system to that writing, obviously, that that makes their timing look great, makes their delivery look great, you know, but that's repeatable for, for business speakers. And what we found when we analyzed all the world's leading TED Talks at the moment that humor was at a level in their evident that was actually funnier on a laugh per minute basis than the funniest movies of all time. And they were using the same techniques as comedians. And if you look up those guys' talks that they'd given early versions of that talk, they weren't as good. They'd improved it over time. They'd rewritten it. They'd studied it. They'd realized that information coupled in certain sequences is more memorable, like delivering things in items of tree. Or they, I can't pronounce tree, by the way, as your listeners probably just figured out there the hard way. <laughs> it's an Irish thing. <laughs> but if you flip all of a sudden, I mean, the heart of comedy is a sequence that is playing on the sequence to all content created and delivered in elements of tree is more memorable to your mind. Tree being the smallest sequence of elements your mind can recognize as a pattern. And what comedy does is they make sure the last element in that sequence breaks the pattern. So rather than just being one, two, three, if I count out, then three is always predictable. They make it one, two, four. So whatever two elements they start with, they break the sequence with the third item, and that's what makes it funny. And they build as much expectation as they can to allow you to think you know where it's going, and the last item in the sequence breaks it. And that's really at the heart of nearly all comedy that you're going to see, repetitive use of that sequence. But it's also the same sequence that's at the heart of great copywriting, great emails, and nearly all form of content that you're exposed to. It's that sequence of tree because you, rem you remember it, recall it, and because you're doing so, you're able to repeat that information easier. So the, I suppose the oversimplified traditional version of that would be the old knock knock jo joke or the guy who walks into the bar and there's always like the first two and then there's the third. He's always different. an Irishman, by the way. Why is the Irishman always subject to that joke? And he's always in a bar. Why doesn't he walk into a vegan restaurant? Like an Irishman walked into a vegan restaurant. Like, ooh, that could happen. That would you know, be interesting well, by in, itself. Here in Southern California, that does happen all the time. <laughs> yeah, it does. I don't know if Irish people are in there yet. We're being dragged in there just out of curiosity. But yeah, it's always three guys walking into a bar. Or it's always three elements to the joke, and it's always the third guy or girl in that sequence that does something that breaks the sequence. Um, and you can simplify that in any way you like. Or, you know, even at the start of this podcast, your introduction, there was three elements to what this podcast seeks to do. Yeah. In every great talk, there's three elements. In every great story, there's a beginning, a middle, and end. And the essence of comedy is flipping that expectation or sequence so the last item is something that could not be predictable to your mind. Okay, so this is really good because I'm actually going to be spending the rest of my day writing emails, and many of them are going out to clients, and, and a number of them are to try to engage and get attention and to communicate a message. So uh, for our listeners who are sitting down and doing the same thing or crafting their next message, where's the starting point as far as thinking through, and, and let's just take writing as an example because that's something we all need to do. Is it as simple as starting to think through, okay, how can I bring in that three-pronged approach or are there other things that would also help as far as thinking through what where we start? 
Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the best place to start, the safest place to start and the most accessible to you and probably the most fun is to start with a list of things or stories that you think are fun or engaging on some level from your own life. So things that have happened with customers, the craziest customer you've ever had, the craziest email you've ever received, that guy called Dave who keeps sending you a groundhog once every five years. Um, you note all those things that you find anyway entertaining and you literally start a list on your smartphone or somewhere that's accessible to you all the time and you look, call it funny file lists. Comedians, all funny people, all great writers are really good at doing this. It's much more enjoyable than journaling, which is normally like, oh, I felt so emotionally unstable last Thursday. <laughs> You're like, all right, I'm not going to read that back. That's not very exciting. But if you have a funny file on your phone that originally starts with very little, but you'll be surprised you add to this really fast. Every time you see something funny, an ad you like, an image you like, you overhear something funny on a daily basis, put it in there. And literally, you just try and incorporate these elements into your own stories, into your own meetings in their shortest, most effective form. So you literally have a bunch of content to draw from. And I guarantee you, if anything embarrassing has happened to you ever, if you had a pitch that went horribly wrong. If you had a public speaking event that went totally sideways, if you had a customer meeting that went south fast, anything that happened to you as a kid growing up in any way, if there's embarrassment in there, there's humor in there. It's just, are you willing to talk about it oh, uh, in front nice. of a bunch of people? But what guys are great at doing about writing and, and content producers and comedians, they just take those snippets of everyday life and they refine them and they write them out. And then they apply this sequence to it. So it's it's the shortest introduction to that story. It's what's the key fun or funny part to that story. And how do we delay that funny part until the end? Because it's that delaying it to the end that makes your timing look awesome. I love this suggestion of having a funny file. I have a love file on my email account where anytime I get something where someone says something nice, I put it in there because on the days when I'm dragging, I'll go in there and I'll look at it. Never thought about doing a funny uh, file. I, I thought this was podcast was going to get you in trouble with your wife there for a moment. No, like, no. Love file on my email list. Like, no, okay. that's, that's, a whole, that's a whole different podcast, David. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not um, coming on that one as a guest. You're going to get me in too much trouble. Yeah, I mean, I mean, love in the broadest sense of the term. <laughs> yeah, I get you. You're safe. Don't worry. But yeah, to be honest, it's just an enjoyable thing to do. And when you start, there's nothing on there. And all of a sudden, when you're looking to to write a blog post and it's about technology and you're like, I have a product that improves technology, how do I start this off in a way that's relatable to people? All of a sudden, you write a short form story about your parents, your grandparents, or someone in your family struggling to adapt to new technology. And then you you make that first paragraph about that. So it's all of a sudden something that's very relatable. And now you start to talk about on a wider level or a more specific level, how you're solving that particular product. So I have a technology product. This is what it solves. It's not the exact problem my grandmother was facing when she tried to call me in Skype in the middle of the night. But it's a similar set of challenges and circumstances, and here's how I solved it. So all of a sudden, things that you think are not really related or correlated, you're able to correlate them, and you're able to share a little bit of your own life and your own story with people. And and this is very much the essence of what we see in a lot of modern leaders these days, whether it's Jeff Weiner from LinkedIn or whether it was people like Dick Costello over at Twitter, that they were very much putting their own stories out there as content, sharing bits of their life and, and looking at the humorous side of it. So they were, you know, they were making themselves more human in doing so and making themselves more relatable to the average people, average person who they were leading or they were managing. And that was a, a key item that was identified in nearly all great leaders. And if you ever read the book Multipliers by uh, 
Liz Wiseman, I know she has a co-author on it, but it was one of the things they found that every single great leader they identified had a great sense of humor. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I also really like the advice you've given as far as sharing our own stories and, and you know, maybe even an embarrassing moment or poking fun at ourselves, because I, I know one of the fears that many of us have is we're going to say something funny or attempt some humor and it will be at someone else's expense or someone won't take it the right way. And one of the reasons I really like poking fun at myself or sharing some of those funny stories is I know I'm not going to offend anyone if I'm poking the fun at myself. And so it's a it's a safe way, at least I found, to be funny and bring in that engagement. And at the same time, I don't need to worry about offending someone who I'm you know saying something about. A hundred percent. And the really nice thing is if you're sharing a story and people don't laugh at the funny part of the story... Nothing happens. I mean, they don't know you were trying to be funny in any way, shape or form. You were just telling a story. And worst case scenario, your story is a lot more engaging than the pie chart maybe that you were going to put up instead of it. It humanizes you a lot as a speaker and you don't run that same risk. It's kind of like when your boss calls you into an office and is like, hey, I have a a really great joke for you or one of the managing directors. And you're just like, oh, I know it's not going to be funny. Uh, and, And now you do your best to feign some sort of interest or laughter. You want to avoid that moment. So when you're very visibly trying to tell a joke, you're very visibly trying to be funny. And that can go either way a lot of the time. Whereas if you're telling a story, you just shared people a little bit about you. You shared with them a a bit about your point of view without enforcing an opinion on them. And if it just happened to be funny, all the better. But you're very visibly not putting yourself out and risking that moment with those humor lines, which sometimes are cringeworthy when they don't work. I noticed that the term improv was mentioned on your site or on the conference you guys do, and I've heard of a number of leaders over the years who have gone and done improv classes as a way to improve their communication skills, and I've heard some really cool success stories come out of that. I don't know if that's necessarily the right choice for everyone, but I'm wondering if there's an element of improv that is something we could take away and put into practice that that would help us through some of that, how do I think on my feet more effectively? Yeah, and I think improv is great for that. It's very good at upping creativity and forcing you to support other people's ideas rather than arguing with them. So I myself, when I used to manage a a very large company in, in multinational territories back in the day for the world's largest private education company, I was their head of operations. And a lot of the time people would give me suggestions and I would just shoot it down very quickly and go, that's not going to work because of this. Now let's move on. I'm in a hurry. Whereas the improv way to handle that would be, okay, well, yes, tell me more. Like expand on it. Just whenever anyone has an idea, just automatically say yes to talking about it more and flesh it out some more and, and try and build on whatever they're saying as opposed to close it off. And that's pretty much the core principle of improv is collaboration and saying yes and to any idea. So that's okay. That's great. Thanks for your suggestion. And how would we do that? And you just force them sometimes to either showcase the strengths in their idea, help you dig out strengths in the idea, or showcase quickly the holes in that idea by going deeper into that idea rather than you just saying, no, I'm not open to that. That's a bad idea. Let's move on. Oh, so this is very much a mindset shift from a leadership standpoint of rather than looking for the re- all the reasons this wouldn't work, how do I look for every possible opportunity for how that might work and tell me more and engage in the converse? And like you, it's getting back to what you just what you framed earlier. It's it's about engagement. It's not necessarily about how to be funny. Yeah, improv is very much about engagement. Is very much about collaboration, and is very much about just exploring every avenue and not being closed off to any ideas. So when they actually tested it. MIT did a study at one stage, but they found that improv 
practitioners were actually more, you were more likely to come up with creative ideas than product managers for new products at one time, just oh, because wow. they were very open to exploring every opportunity around it, whereas other guys had a knowledge of what worked and what didn't work, and they would quickly write off ideas that actually went on to be later quite successful. So maybe we we should all go and take an improv class to get us thinking about about how to just get some practice at doing that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a fun process to go through. It can be a little uncomfortable at the start, but it's extremely supportive, and that's the nature of improv. I, I love kind of what's termed rehearsed spontaneity, whereas if you're in a leadership position and you're given a talk in any way or you're addressing people, that something you're able to take something and make it look very much in the moment mm. that is not in the moment. So I think I, I, one of the most highlighted examples of that that I've come across was uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, which he's given a lot of credit for impromptuly just adding the I Have a Dream part the particular day he got famous for delivering it because he wasn't planning on including it. Somebody backstage just kept calling out Martin, tell them about the dream. So he built it into the talk, even though he hadn't written it into the talk. But that year, they estimated he'd given up to 350 public speaking appearances alone. And on many occasions, he referenced the element of having a dream. So it was something he talked about. He knew it resonated with the audience and he knew it worked. He just didn't plan on mentioning it that day. But a nice thing about a rehearsed spontaneity to give that improv look to things is sometimes when you actually tried and tested the material and on that particular day, you just happened to include it. It looks like you just made it up off the top of the head, but very much you actually had it tested before. And you can do that in a humorous setting with your own personal stories. So it looks improv, but it's your story. You've told it before. You probably know where people laugh at a Christmas dinner or in a business outing or literally sitting around with your friends in a bar somewhere or a restaurant. If you can restructure that sentence so the funny bit is at the end and you just happen to include it in a talk you're giving or a speech you're giving or when you're addressing employees, all of a sudden they give you a lot of credit for using improv, but it's actually very much rehearsed. So glad you said that because in my work with Carnegie over the years, we teach presentations courses. And one of the elements we talk about is how to manage a question and answer session at the end of your talk or sometimes during your talk. And people are often surprised at how much strategy goes into that beforehand and how much you do have control over how that conversation goes, even though you don't know the questions that are coming because of planning it out, thinking through the, the methodology of it, thinking about the message you want to send. There's so much that can be done to really frame that really well. And it's not, it's not random by any means. No. And, and if you want to remove that random component to ending a talk on a Q&A session, the easiest way is to not end a talk on the question and a session. So anyone I, I would advise in any way, shape or form, and certainly one of the tips you'll find in my book, and I do this myself, I did it in a talk last week at a Google author talk when I was asked to come speak, is just to take that. You can manage it, certainly. You can control it. But there's always something that can go a bit sideways in a Q&A session. And you risk that that now is your exit. So you're on stage. Nobody asks a question. Nobody has a question. You feel a little bit awkward. They're like, you know, the host is frantically running around trying to find somebody to, hey, do you have a question over there? And they're like, no, I just yawned. Leave me alone. And as a speaker, you're kind of just walking off and nobody really knows if it's over yet. They don't know whether to applause. They're not 100% sure that it's finished. Yeah. The easiest way to avoid all that is you just to say, okay, I'm going to take a couple of questions and answers before I make my conclusion. 
and is saving the conclusion with three elements ideally because we now know that's the most memorable sequence to your mind gives you a lot more confidence in the Q&A because it goes long or short at any moment you can cut it off and everybody will approve because you already told them you need to finish and make your conclusion they know some there's some time left but it also allows you to control the ending and that way everybody knows it's over there's no awkward moment when you're on stage and you're waiting for another question and when everybody knows it's over they all applaud in unison and it gives you a better video at the end of the day as well because oh, it looks yeah. like you're going out with a bang you may it's have a- been a uh, carnegie instructor in a past life we we do the exi- <laughs> we do the exact same thing initially oh the, you do nice. oh yeah and the process initial close q and a final close cuz you want to have the last word and frame it effectively so i love well, it yeah it just allows you to go out like a rock star or like steve jobs when you have a strong opening but you have an even stronger closing yeah yeah well speaking of having a strong closing you mentioned earlier on in this conversation that you have a fear of speaking, which is interesting since you've written a, a book on public speaking. And- <laughs> yeah, worst plan ever. I'm 100% the only person you're ever going to meet who has a book on public speaking that hates public speaking and doesn't want to talk about his book most of the time, at least in public. Well, like, Come and talk to us. You're like, no, leave me alone. That's I don't know. I don't know. I'm not as confident on that as you are because if I, if I could add up all the podcasters, speakers, trainers that I've talked to over the years that have some fear of speaking or, or have a big fear of speaking. And I'm going to throw myself in that category too. It's really interesting that actually a lot of us struggle with that who've who've gone on to then in some way teach this or, or be mentors for this. And I'm wondering, how do you navigate around that and still find the humor in order to engage people? Yeah, well, to be honest, it was the humor that probably put to one side the the fear of public speaking. I mean, the fear never totally goes away. It becomes manageable. And in making a crowd laugh all of a sudden and in knowing you have a short story or a piece of content or you're going to show an image or a video and that's going to spike engagement, everybody's going to laugh. And I love the expression, the end of laughter is followed by the height of listening. But I really do believe that when you make someone laugh, especially in a conference or business setting where they may have been bored for a decent portion of the day, uh, through no fault of ours or anybody else, they weren't intentionally being boring. But that spike in dopamine makes you more attentive than you've probably been all day when somebody said something funny or engaging. And just having a collection of things I know I can use that follows the same sequence and the structure that we've discussed gives me quite a lot of confidence about getting up there and experimenting with some other items, knowing that I have really strong material that will resonate with people to use. And I think knowing that with some with some tricks that I borrowed from a lot of comedians that I got to know over the years, experiments, really helped me relax a bit. Like knowing I wasn't going to go blank on stage, knowing I had a strong opening and a strong closing, knowing I had a couple of stories that would spike engagement in the middle, that definitely relaxed the mind a bit. David Nihill is the author of Do You Talk Funny? Seven Comedy Habits to Become a Better and Funnier Public Speaker. David, thanks so much for your time and your humor. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I think I mentioned in this conversation with David on the day we recorded it that I was working on a marketing piece for a Carnegie project later on in the day. And I took some of David's advice here of bringing in humor into the material I was writing, and we sent it out to clients. And I can directly equate that marketing message that had a lot more humor in it than normal to probably six or $7,000 of business that that resulted in over the next week or so uh, that we normally would not see from a message like that. 
So I'd certainly encourage you to give this a try. I think one of the fears that many of us have with humor is that we're going to try something and it's not going to work or we're going to offend. And if that's the case for you, like I've struggled with in the past, I would certainly encourage you to do what we talked about in this conversation is uh, poking a little fun at yourself or your organization is almost always a pretty safe place to start. And I think that along with the tools that David mentioned will really help you to start thinking about how you can communicate even more effectively and use humor in the same way most of us do in our personal interactions and our friendships. But if we can find a way to do that in a business context too and in leadership, I think that that will help all of us to connect well. I hope that you'll add to the conversation as well. If you have a comment or question, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. That's the best way to get it to me. And also for it to be considered for a future Q&A episode, lots of questions coming in these days, but I don't have yours. I'd love to consider your question for the next Q&A show so Bonnie and I can go into depth on it. Coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is the best way to do that. And a reminder, if you're just listening for the first time or maybe be the first couple of times and you're not already subscribed to the weekly leadership guide, you'll want to get that because you will receive in your inbox on Wednesdays one guide that goes through and has the details of each week's show notes, the resources that we've mentioned, links to all of that, as well as links to things that I'm reading, viewing, uh, sharing online that I think will be helpful to you to continue to help you keep your leadership development going during the week. And so uh, if that's something that resonates with you, you can join at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. We have thousands of people who receive that now every week. And when you join, you will get a bonus item. That is the uh, that is my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you to get better results from others and brief summaries from me on the value of each of those books. It's a PDF guide, but also comes with a video of me going through in detail each of those books, why I think they're helpful to you, and what value I think you can get from them if you'll take time to read them. And if you just if you just grab one of those books this year that you haven't read, man, it's going to help you to really improve your leadership. Again, coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And finally, this week, thank you to three of you in the UK. Go UK. <laughs> thank you so much for the kind reviews on iTunes, uh, Aid Tho, Big Red 35, and someone named Grumpy Elf in the UK. Grumpy Elf, you may be grumpy in real life, but you're very nice on iTunes. Thank you, Grumpy Elf. I so appreciate it. And then finally, back here in the States, AI8706. Thanks for the kind words. I so appreciate it. Hey, if you've been benefiting from the show as well and uh, would like to give some feedback on iTunes, a rating, a review, I'm always grateful for those. It helps me to understand how people are benefiting, what I can do to improve. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes if you'd like to do that. Have a great week and I look forward to seeing you next week. Take care.